they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare, they will bring in. It will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the words of the Lord will stand forever. I want to share with you three quick stories. Samantha wanted to be heard, especially by her mom. Uh, She felt like she didn't belong in her family because of the things that she struggled with as a kid. She just felt like she didn't fit. She remembers sitting on the steps in her home one day, listening to her family downstairs at the kitchen table laughing together. And she remembers thinking on the steps when she wasn't with her family and they were enjoying one another. She remembers thinking they would be better off if I wasn't here. If I wasn't in this family, her hunger to fit in her own family led her to harming herself, over medicating at times, under medicating at other times, eating disorders and more. Christy wanted to feel safe. She was abandoned by a drug addict mom when she was eight, adopted into a Christian family who tried to love her, but she felt like she was never good enough for them. Her hunger to feel safe led her to a string of unhealthy relationships her freshman year in college. After she slept with her first boyfriend who pretended to love her, it was so much easier to be with the next one. And she tried to numb her pain with drinking and pills and pleasure, but it never seemed to numb the deeper longing long enough. And then there's Joshua. Joshua wanted to be affirmed so badly, especially by his dad. He grew up in a rigid Christian home and in a church that constantly told him that God would never love him until he basically made himself more lovable, more spiritual. So he tried by attending every youth group event, by becoming a leader in his youth group, and then in college, by becoming a leader in RUF. He led Bible studies and everything else, and he always felt like a poser, though, uh, because he knew that he could never really do enough to cover the shame that he felt deep down for his pornography addiction that nobody knew about. 
And when he wasn't with his RUF friends, he was drinking excessively and constantly looking for other means of affirmation, which led him, as these things do, to other places for more. To places like Craigslist, where he could just find random hookups across the city. And for him, it became women or men. It didn't matter. He was starving for affirmation. And secret sin became his go-to God. I know those are heavy stories to start with, but, but it really reminds me of the line that I shared with you last semester that came from that Nate Larkin uh, booklet on called Beyond Accountability. It deals with sexual sin. This is a free booklet you can find online, Beyond Accountability, where he said he talked about his own struggles. He said he came to the end of his rope with sexual sin when it took him way further than he ex- ever expected to go. And he felt like his real problem was his, was his sex, like his sex problem. And he began to see a counselor and was a part of this counseling group. And, and a friend of his who was a part of this group told him, and this is the line that I think is so good. He said, your problem is that you think that sex is your problem. Sex is not your problem. Sex is your favorite solution. It's the medication that you've been using all these years to numb the pain caused by your deeper problems. Maybe for you, those stories seem dramatic because it's not sex or alcohol, but it's power. It's performance. It's achievement. It's being seen as being right. It's money. You have to have more. But here's what I want you to see tonight. Those things are not our biggest problem. They're just substitute solutions. They're medication. They're numbing devices we use to ignore the real problems. And the real problem is that we are hungry. Just like Samantha, Christy, Joshua, we are hungry. And so tonight's passage really serves as this very vivid illustration to show that God promises his people lasting satisfaction for their deep hunger problems. But it can only be found in the daily bread that God himself provides. So let's consider the passage and we'll try to work this out as we go along. It's been two weeks since we were studying this story, Israel's deliverance across the Red Sea. But in those two weeks, in these stories, it's really been about two months, okay? So they were delivered from the Red Sea. They sang that song that we considered last time. And then about two months later, here they are. When they enter the wilderness of sin, which is aptly named, as we start to see Israel face a real test of faith. Verse 1 shows us their location, and verse 2 shows us their hearts. They're entitled, they're addicted, and they're hungry. Two months into God's miraculous rescue mission out of Egypt, sparing their lives and conquering their enemies, now just days later, the grumbling sets in. Did you hear it like 50 times in the passage? Grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. Which sounds like an onomatopoeia. That's what you would say when you grumble. Because it really, for any of us, it does not take us long to move from contentment to entitlement. Things are good. I need more. I deserve more. I recently heard someone jokingly refer to your generation as Generation E. E for entitlement. Does that kind of hurt your feelings a little bit? Uh, Maybe you agree with it. I don't totally not agree with it. But I also don't think entitlement is unique to your generation. Like, y'all didn't come up with this. My kids didn't come up with this. My goodness, they are entitled. We're not talking about them. (laughs) For so many years now, I think certainly in this country, in this economy, there's a sense that, that we are owed whatever we determine we are owed. 
Entitlement is what you believe you deserve based on whatever standard you determine. It's an inherent privilege of certain rights, right? I worked hard on that project, so I deserve an A. I took the time to post that spring break pic and I put all the filters on it. I deserve a bunch of likes. I got myself out of bed this morning. I deserve a Chick-fil-A biscuit. Entitlement. I do. But the problem is, and you know this, we take that entitled mentality and we apply it to our relationship with God. Look at what a faithful student I've been. How come I didn't get the internship? I've been pure for you. Where's my serious relationship when everybody else seems to be dating and getting engaged? What have I been waiting for? I've read my Bible and I've prayed every day. Why do I still suffer like I do? Why do I hurt? Why does my family hurt? Look at verses 2 and 3 again. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill us. That sounds like Israel mid-1400s B.C. was the original generation E, doesn't it? They were two months into the wilderness wanderings and all of a sudden they remembered... We deserve something better than this. They were hungry and they began to long for what they considered the good old days. The good old days when we were slaves in Egypt. You know, when we were serving an evil king and our lives were miserable, the good old days. We, we see that and we're like, what are you talking about? That's foolishness, right? To hunger for something that you know only really hurts you in the end? No, that's not, that's not foolishness. That's called addiction. To hunger for something, a substance, or a relationship, or an outlet that actually brings pain over and over again. And their entitlement, the feeling that they felt like they deserved something more, contributed to their addiction. Israel felt that God had abandoned them, that life was getting hard. Where is God now? And instead of waiting and trusting and hoping, they wanted to go back to something that brought immediate relief. Egypt. Egypt was their addiction. Egypt was their sex, their alcohol, their comfort, their pleasure. What's your Egypt? Where do you go when you feel that God is distant? Where do you go when you feel like maybe God's abandoned you too? When you feel disconnected, where do you go? I just started reading a book last week that I wish I'd been reading all semester. I didn't know about it till last week. I'm going to read it the rest of the semester for sure. I want to reference it to you because this is a great book that goes along with our series. Um, It's called Redemption, Freed by Jesus from the Idols We Worship and the Wounds We Carry. The author is Mike Wilkerson. And what he's done is he's taken the Exodus story and he applies it to searching out the idols of our hearts. Super helpful. And what I read last week was incredibly applicable. You can find this for $6 right now on Amazon, by the way. I got it for $6 this weekend. Mike Wilkerson. 
He gives three incredibly helpful diagnostic questions to help trace out the hunger of our hearts. Questions that I really would encourage you to sit down and find the time to answer this week to begin tracing out maybe some of the sources of your dissatisfaction and really maybe your disordered desires. Here are the three questions. When are you angry? When are you anxious? And when do you escape? Those are probing questions, aren't they? When are you angry? When are you anxious? And when do you escape? Do you get angry when people don't get on your schedule? Like I do, to my shame. Do you get anxious when people question you? Like I do. That's revealing something about my heart. Something I don't want to deal with. But it's there. When do you get angry? When do you get anxious? When do you escape? When do you find yourself scrolling through social media for 30 minutes at a time? Or looking, you know, going to video games and playing and all of a sudden like six hours have completely passed by. Or you begin working out to an absolute obsession and everyone's like, you're going again? Binge watching six seasons of The Office. Now, you say there's what's wrong with a little social media isn't working out like good for your health and, and what's wrong with Netflix? Nothing. And that's the point. Those things that I just named are not bad in and of themselves, are they? Of course not. But what so happens in our hearts so often is that we begin, as we begin to trace out some of these questions, it's not that we always turn to horrible things to satisfy our hungers. It's instead we make idols of even good things. And we turn to what might otherwise be good things and we make them ultimate things to bring us comfort and hope and pleasure and other things that only God Himself can provide. Wilkerson says of Israel in this passage that food wasn't their real issue. Rather, their empty hearts was their issue. He says that more bread just became a thin cover over, over a bottomless pit of desire to have life on their terms. Let me read that again. He says that more bread just became a thin cover over a bottomless pit of desire to have life on their terms. So what's your bottomless pit of desire and what's the cover you're putting on top? What's your thin cover? And are you ready to admit that it's just not working? There's an amazing interaction that Jesus has with a huge crowd of people in John 6. Jesus had just miraculously fed 5,000 plus people with two fish and five loaves of bread. Bread. Get it? Bread. He feeds them with bread. That's important. They ate it. They had their fill. And they went on with their lives until the next morning when they were hungry again. And so Jesus goes to the other side of the sea and and all of a sudden this crowd finds him over there. And they're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they come after him and, and he immediately sees through their motives. They came to him for food, not for him. They wanted him to do something for them. They didn't want him. They wanted more bread. And so he calls them out on it. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. 
You were not seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. And don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Food that perishes, bread that spoils. Sex is not your problem, it's your favorite solution, and it perishes. As does achievement or performance or recognition or popularity or beauty or wealth or whatever it is. It's, it's a substitute. It never satisfies deep down. And so when good things become ultimate things, they actually become slave masters. And they don't give us life. They poison us from the inside out. And often we don't see it before it's too late. I came across one of the most disturbing news stories I've ever heard in my life over the last week. So I thought I would share it with you. Where... This 42-year-old man in India, this happened last year, like last fall. And this isn't like fake news. This is like the real deal news. I read it on multiple trustable source sites. This guy went into the hospital, 42 years old, with severe abdominal pain. And immediately the ultrasound revealed a mass in his stomach. And when they put a camera down to see what they could find, they found a, a mass of knives a bundle of knives in this man's stomach. And they told this man, uh, we think we know why your stomach hurts. You have a load of knives in it. And I think he was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I do swallow knives sometimes. In fact, he admitted he had swallowed 28 knives in the last 60 days or so. They found more than 28 knives. They found around 40 small. These are small little metal knives. They removed 40 knives from this man's stomach (laughs) after he had abdominal pain. So when asked why, this was in the interview, when asked why did you swallow all these knives, he said one of the most honest things I think I've ever heard in my life. He said, I don't know. He said, I just decided to take the knives and I don't know why. I guess it was just impulse. He calls it impulse. Psychologists actually have a word for this, a diagnosis for this called pika. And that is when you basically eat non-nutritive substances that can have serious medical implications, such as knives. It's called pika. And so we look at this and we laugh and we giggle and, and, and we think, how could you not have seen that swallowing metal blades would actually hurt your stomach? That it really would not satisfy your hunger at all. How could you not see that you would still be hungry and maybe even be hurt? And Jesus looks at us. And the things that we are attempting to fill our lives with... And to satisfy our deepest longings. And he says to you. Why do you work so hard. For food that spoils. Israel's problem. Is our problem too. They were hungry. And their disordered desires fooled them into thinking that their old idols would satisfy. But their solution, as God shows them, happens to be our solution for hunger, too. It's more lasting bread. 
Over and over in Exodus 16, we hear that God hears his people. And I think that's one of the most gracious sentences. You know, he, the grumbling, the grumbling, the grumbling, and it says he hears them. We see over and over again in Exodus that God sees his people. He knows their needs and he is intending to meet their very needs. Not in the way that they would predict or expect, but in a way that will satisfy them even more than they could imagine. And his answer for them was to provide this bread from heaven. You know the story. God told Moses to give them instructions in the morning, come out of your tents and you'll find this bread-like substance along the ground. Uh, It's like dew dew has turned into bread on the ground. And so we don't know exactly what it was, but it was flaky and it was bready. Okay, They didn't know what it was either. And so they called it, what is it? You know, that's the, that's the translation of manna. Man, uh, is like man, huh? It's a dad joke. And in Hebrew, it literally is just the phrase, what is it? And so they see this stuff and they're like, what is it? And so they call it, what is it? It would be like in our house, one of the big phrases that's uttered on a regular basis by our five-year-old Jordan is, wait, what? She says this all the time, like constant. I don't know who she got it from, probably one of y'all in TV. But all the time, she's like, wait, what? Wait, what? It would be like finding something you don't know on the ground and be like, wait, what? And somebody like, what is it? And you're like, it's wait, what? Okay, that's manna. <laughs> Back to the point. So they gather this, what is it? And, and they are told to only gather enough for their family. And only enough for one day at a time. Super important principles here. To gather enough for their families and only for one day at a time. And on Saturdays, they were to gather twice as much for Sunday, the Sabbath. There's so much great Sabbath stuff. This is the first time the word Sabbath is used. I could spend a whole great sermon on that. But they needed to rest up for Sunday. I would encourage you to do the same. Nevertheless, they gather it. God gives them all these rules. And he says, if you do more than this, if you try to gather too much for yourself, then it's going to have worms in it. You don't want wormy bread to do only what God says to do with the bread. Don't be selfish. Don't be stingy. Be thankful and generous. So think about it. Why would God want them to only have enough for one day? So they would have to trust him on the next day. So that they would actually have to trust him to provide for them again tomorrow. Kind of like give us this day our daily bread. There's something so important about that principle. Our entitlement mentality tells us to get enough for today and tomorrow and make sure we have a good plan for two months from now. And a 401k certainly wouldn't hurt. And a big savings and like my plans have to be like I've got a 15 year plan. I've got a I don't I'm speaking for you. I've got a uh, you know, I've got a 30 year plan. Like that's what we want. We want to feel safe and we want to feel secure. And God says, I want you to trust me to provide. Because the thing is that God, like we desire so much about our futures. We desire all this assurance, but what God desires is our hearts. He desires our affections. And he intends to continually put us in a position that we might not just seek gifts from him. Jesus, give me some more of that bread but rather that we would seek Him. 
This is a key difference between the lesser gods or idols that we default serve rather than the true and living God who actually can give us everything we need because lesser gods demand more and supply less. Take Pharaoh, for example. This is how foolish Israel really was. They dreamed for their better days in Egypt. And we know, just through studying these passages this semester, we know what their life in Egypt was like. And when Moses first went to Pharaoh to demand freedom for God's people, you remember how Pharaoh reacted, right? He was like, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love you guys. Y'all are awesome. Go on your way. Go get that land. You deserve it. No. He, he made things worse for them. He demanded more. They were addicted to a man and a land who actually only made their lives worse. But they thought going back would help. But God, who now they grumble, grumble, grumble against over and over again, hears them, he sees them, and he says, and I'll take care of you. That's amazing grace in this passage. You've got to feel the weight of God hearing their complaints against him. Did you hear it over and over again? You're complaining against the Lord himself, the one who delivered us from our enemies. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And he says, I hear you. Here's some bread. There's incredible grace for grumbling sinners like Israel and like you and like me. I want to turn back to that John 6 passage. After Jesus tells the crowd that they're laboring for food that spoils, he makes them a tremendous promise. He says that God has once again provided bread from heaven. But this time it doesn't become wormy after a day. Instead, it is bread that endures. They ask, like we may be prone to ask, how do we get that bread? And it's so interesting. He says, Jesus doesn't tell them what to do. He tells them where to go. He doesn't tell them what to do to get the bread. He tells them where they need to go. When he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What Jesus promises here is shocking. He says that just as God gave his people bread from heaven in the form of manna in Moses' day, he has now given his people bread from heaven in the form of a man. He goes on to say that if you want to never be hungry again, if you want to never thirst again, you must eat of his body and drink of his blood. And I know that sounds like odd language. But Jesus' point is that the only way our deepest hungers will be satisfied is through his death. For us, his death for the death of all of our disordered desires and empty addictions, his body, the bread broken for you on the cross. And the only way that our insatiable thirst might be quenched is through his blood, which is spilled out on the cross to cover our lesser lusts. And this really is an invitation for you, no matter where you are in your faith right now, whether you're a Christian and you're struggling with plenty of these things and other things and you're hungry or you don't consider yourself a Christian and you're trying it all out and you're trying to find meaning and purpose and hope. I want to encourage you 
there is, <laughs> there's some good news in this passage for you. Because on the cross, on the Good Friday, many years ago, <laughs> Jesus became hungry. He became hungry so that you would never have to hunger again. And on the cross, Jesus became thirsty so that you would never have to thirst again. He became broken that you might be healed. God gives Israel something that they need, bread that they need for every single day. Enough for every day. And Jesus says, I am all that you need for every single day. For every single day. In a 1945 novel entitled The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith, a Scottish writer named Bruce Marshall tells a story of this priest named Father Smith and his relationship with a, how do we say, seductive woman who built a relationship with him, basically to sleep with him. That's the part of this story. Her name is Miss Dana Agdala. And she's basically hitting on this father all the time. And she's saying things like, how do you live your life without people like me? And she's trying to come on to him. And she tells them that she believes that religion is a substitute for sex. It's a man-made thing that really people, what they're looking for is pleasure. that can actually be found in sex. And Father Smith gives this great response, which, by the way, has been misquoted. And you may have heard this quote before attributed to like G.K. Chesterton or even Augustine. And it came from neither of them. It came from this 1945 novel. And here's what he said. He said, I prefer to believe that sex is a substitute for religion. And that the young man who rings the bell at a brothel is unconsciously looking for God himself. It's a tremendous line that the young man who rings the bell of a brothel is actually unconsciously looking for God. Do you think that could be true for you? And true for the places that you go and maybe the things that you are struggling with? That actually what you're looking for is God. I can tell you that That was certainly true for those three students I mentioned earlier. And those are all three students of mine in the past. What they were looking for is found in relationship with God. And let me just say, I want to be on record to say there's a place for counseling in all of these things. And I encourage counseling for all three of these scenarios. And two out of the three pursued counseling and therapy. There's a place for community It's a place for medication at times, no doubt. But I'll revisit those stories. Samantha, what she needed to believe is that she was valued by the Creator Himself, made perfectly in His image. She didn't have to hurt herself to feel loved. Her deepest longings were met only in God giving up His Son so that she would know how deeply loved she really was, even if she felt like she didn't fully get it at home. Christy needed to know that she was safe in the arms of Jesus and that no boyfriend could ever solve the deep hunger problems that she had. Only lasting bread of life can meet her needs. And Joshua desperately needed to know that God was not pleased with him because of his outer spirituality to a group of his peers. And he wasn't done with him 
because of his inner addictions with secret sins, but that he was loved by God in Christ, whose body was really broken for his brokenness. And we need to hear the same message tonight that what you're looking for in porn actually is only found in a relationship with God. That what you're looking for in partnership can only be found in a relationship with God in Christ. That what you're looking for in power or comfort or approval or purpose can actually only be found in the context of knowing who God is for you and who you are to Him. I think that's exactly where our hungers point us to where we are missing God, foolishly swallowing knives, hoping it won't hurt and that no one will notice. While all along our disordered desires are poisoning us from the inside out. Christian, I want you to take hope. Bread from heaven has come down for you. Daily bread. To meet all of your needs that none of these things can at all. To give you real purpose and real hope. Real meaning and real satisfaction. Real life. A little bread today, more tomorrow, and this bread is for you always. Take it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, help us to believe. Help us to believe that the longing underneath all of the idols of our hearts is a longing to be known by you. To be found safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. To be freely forgiven, fully atoned for, fully known and truly loved in ways that only we can be loved in Christ. I pray that for these students. I pray that for me. I pray that for our family. God, I pray that whatever uh, connects here in this message, God, that it would drive us all deeper into a relationship with you. Use this community. Drive us to deeper conversations with our peers. Pray that maybe even tonight somebody would sit down with a friend and they would say, I'm struggling with this. Could you help me see where I'm missing God? Help us to come up with answers this week. Where do we get angry? When do we get anxious? When do we seek to escape? And what's really going on? Search us and know us. Test us. Know our anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. For your glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.